It was time, actually long past time, for Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid to invoke the nuclear option and ask his colleagues to change the Senate's rules, wrote the Washington Post columnist Eugene Robinson in 2013. Quote, this isn't about partisan politics. It's about making what has been called the world's greatest deliberative body function the way the framers of the Constitution intended. Recently, it has barely functioned as Republicans abused the old rules to prevent the chamber from performing its enumerated duties. There was a time when the minority party in the Senate would have been embarrassed to use such tactics in pursuit of ends that are purely political, but we seem to live in an era without shame. Well, today Democrats are reaping what they've sown in the nuking of the filibuster as the president's latest SCOTUS nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, sails through his confirmation hearing, which began today. Democrats know this, of course, and it's why 2020 frontrunners like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris have soaked up every second of spotlight to resist the Trump nominee. I'm Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth. This is the political pregame. Sit down and have a drink with us. Trump's in turmoil as his SCOTUS nominee is currently being grilled in the Senate, and he's no doubt fuming over Nike's deal with resistance hero Colin Kaepernick and explosive scoops from Bob Woodward's impending book on the administration. As we await the inevitable angry tweet storm from the president, You'll need it. Good evening or afternoon, depending where in this great nation you are. And welcome back to the political pregame. Today, we are cracking open a cold one in honor of Keg City Kavanaugh. Among some of the other gems that have been found by the great journalists of this country on Trump's uh, SCOTUS nominee, uh, here are some of the biggest breaking news or the most explosive news stories that we've been able to find about Kavanaugh's personal life. He spent thousands of dollars on baseball tickets for his friends, which they later reimbursed him for. He eats his pasta with ketchup. Honestly, the most egregious offense in my book. Um, I don't trust that. He, yes, as he wrote in his high school yearbook, was the treasurer of the Keg City Club, 100 Kegs or Bust. Likes beer, likes sports. Really sounds like the portrait of the Nazi white nationalist agenda, uh, really. So um, it's just been funny to see Democrats sort of make a tizzy out of this Simply because if you look back at Kavanaugh's record, Democrat appointed judges joined Kavanaugh's majority opinions 88% of the time, while Republican appointed judges joined Kavanaugh's majority opinions 88% of the time. So not really a partisan hack on Trump's part. He was endorsed by the Federal Society, of course, which has been used as a bludgeon against him in these endorsement or in, um, in this confirmation hearing. But this was to be expected, right, Avery? I mean, like, don't you think that this is really just mostly about playing politics and virtue signaling for Democrats at this point? Um, to an extent, I agree with that. I think. If you were to see um, a Democratic administration in right now, if it was a Hillary Clinton presidency and she had the pick and Democrats had the majorities, you'd see the same thing happen because that's the type of political atmosphere that we're living in, regardless of whether we like it or not, regardless of whether it's right or not. That's what's happening. This is political gameplay at its finest. Although, you know, I think if all we're really waiting on is... Um, Senator Collins to really give the go-ahead for Kavanaugh to get through, then he will be the next Supreme Court justice. Although 
Democrats are putting up a fight because I think to their voter base, they can't say that they rolled over on this one, especially when Roe v. Wade is so important to the blue voter base. I mean, I do think it's interesting, though, because you have obviously senators like Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, who really, as we saw earlier today in the confirmation hearing, made a big deal out of grandstanding and demonstrating that this isn't just about Trump Supreme Court. This is about this grand civilizational battle and whether or not the president just wants to appoint someone who will protect him, which theoretically is a case you could make about any SCOTUS nominee for any president. Yet you have senators who are extremely vulnerable, like Claire McCaskill in Missouri, who are noticeably mum on the matter. And quite frankly, I, I think that McCaskill will ultimately cave. I think it remains to be seen if Heidi Heitkamp will cave. Um, but I think, I mean, this really only ends one way right now, given the political capital that Democrats have in the Senate. Well, yeah, and uh, especially more moderate senators in contested races um, heading into November in purple states are going to be more quiet on this matter because the Supreme Court matters to so many people, not just those on the far right, but it matters to a lot of moderates depending on what your values are. There are a lot of single-issue voters who came out in the last election for Trump and voted specifically for Trump on Roe v. Wade. I mean, we talked about how that was probably a huge factor that came into play in Florida in turning that state red in terms of electoral college votes. And so that's not necessarily surprising. I think uh, people view someone who is president as temporary, but the Supreme Court obviously has a lifetime appointment. So if you are someone who is behind the ideals that... Kavanaugh, or Kavanaugh, sorry, has stood for throughout his time, then of course you are going to be watching this very closely and you're going to feel very strongly about this regardless of what side you're on. But I mean, let's consider for a second, Kavanaugh is not the most conservative, quote, you know, definitionally justice that, that he could have chosen. He could have chosen Amy Coney Barrett, who I believe a lot more like diehard conservatives were gunning for. This is someone who got a well-qualified rating from the nonpartisan uh, ABA. This is someone who taught at Harvard Law School and was hired by current justice and Obama appointee, Elena Kagan, who was the law school's dean before she became a Supreme Court justice. So this is not someone who was not made nice across the aisle or clearly voted in a way that reflects a teleological view of the law. This is someone who who has, I think, an obvious um, close reading of the law and is clearly a textualist and, and an originalist, but is by no means a partisan hack. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if he is appointed, which I predict that he will be, he will be one of the more right-leaning judges in terms of the scale that grades judges either how conservative they are or how liberal they are. He will be farther right than, let's say, a John Roberts or an Anthony Kennedy, especially when it comes to more of the social issues. You know, at least for me personally, and I think for a lot of Democrats, why Dems are putting up such a big fight, it's not because of, although it's been, you know, portrayed in the media as because of um, executive powers or because of corporate interests and stuff like that, it is really down to the single issue of Roe v. Wade and even beyond that, um, potentially uh, 
marriage for gay people and the LGBT community. And I think those are the issues and those social issues where Anthony Kennedy bent, where we don't really know where, um, you know, a potential justice, Brett Kavanaugh, would really go on those, especially considering his abortion case that he did write a ruling on in regards to, it was a pretty famous case in regards to the um, illegal immigrant and blocking her from receiving an abortion when she became when she realized she was pregnant after crossing the border into the U.S., that's kind of the ruling that people have to go off of. I mean, Senator Collins did meet with Kavanaugh and uh, and believes, as Senator Collins, as um, a Republican senator who does believe in pro-choice, met with him and says after her meeting she believes that he would protect Roe v. Wade. That's all we have to go off of right now. So, I mean, if you're talking about interest groups coming into play in politics, especially with um, every Supreme Court nomination. There are going to be massive amounts of dollars flown in from interest groups on either side of the aisle for whatever issue the judge does or does not uphold. Um, that's why this has been such a big fight right now. I mean, in the cases where judicial rulings matter more than I believe in Roe v. Wade, and I mention this because Congress can create whatever rules they want about abortions. If even if Roe v. Wade were repealed, Congress could create a law making sure that abortion was legal at a federal level, you know? Like, this sort of, like, judicial activism, I think, is a bad litmus test only because, yes, we can use this single-issue litmus test to determine Kavanaugh's eligibility, or you can go back and you can see who does he side with when he is in a position to judge. In 2011, he joined an opinion reversing the dismissal of a race discrimination complaint filed by African-American secretaries. There you go. He stands with minorities. In, um, let's see, in 2008, he ruled for a child sexual abuse victim against an insurance company that was trying to limit a payout. And instead, the Kavanaugh ruling said that the victim was entitled to $100,000 for each of several assaults rather than a one-time payout of $100,000. Uh, repeatedly, in Aisia Toe versus Fannie Mae, Kavanaugh let the discrimination claims of an African-American employee let stand. Um, I mean, this is not someone who is only in it for corporate America or for straight white men or for anything like that. I mean, Kavanaugh, like, again, there, there was a reason why there was some uh, Christian conservative and more uh, right-leaning conservative pushback against Kavanaugh's nomination in the first place. And it's because he has been so lenient when it comes to discrimination cases. And so that's why I just don't. I mean, I understand why Kamala Harris running for Senate in and likely president in 2020, but running or representing the bluest state in the union, I understand why she has a lot of political capital in order to grandstand for these elections. But for other Democratic senators, this just seems like a lot of steam to blow on on a candidate who, quite frankly, is one of the better ones that Democrats could be getting. This is someone who is universally respected was hired by one of the most liberal current Supreme Court justices in the country to teach at Harvard Law. And so I, I just think it's kind of a waste of political capital. And quite frankly, if any of these Democratic senators knew that Linda Sarsour, the far left-wing and arguably anti-Semitic activist, would be pulling her shenanigans today. She was arrested uh, at the beginning of the confirmation hearings, uh, I, I think for disorderly conduct. I mean, if any of them knew about this, or if they enabled this coordination, I think that was a major political faux pas. Just This is just a lot of steam 
to burn on Kavanaugh. Well, to your point on the cases that you mentioned, yes, those are encouraging signs for the left, although there are also discouraging signs in terms of siding with big corporations. And we have seen Kavanaugh flip-flop. And so maybe that can be seen as encouraging in terms of really not just taking um, one opinion that he has and applying it to every case and to every ruling and rather examining the case. Or you can see that as a record and a resume that is hard to determine where he stands. I mean, we saw this with the famous Blackfish case that happened uh, with SeaWorld, where they were found to basically willfully violate safety regulations after the death of an employee. Um, and Kavanaugh sided with SeaWorld in that matter. So, I mean, yes, it's important to look at his rulings, but then again, you can't look at one ruling and say that that speaks for him as a whole, just as you can't look at his ruling on Roe v. Wade in terms of the illegal immigrant and say that that's where he's going to rule every time. However, the stakes are very high in this matter. And when looking at the fact that, okay, yes, the federal government could create a law that legalizes abortion um, at a federal, federal level rather than a state level, sure, but to people who really care about this issue and care about pro-choice in America, would you rather have a law that can be changed or would you rather have that constitutionally protected? And I think the answer there is obvious. But I mean, I think the best thing about Kavanaugh is that he obviously doesn't believe in this this strident judicial activism. And this is something that I think Ben Sass was trying to put forward earlier today in the confirmation hearing um, during his speech. I mean, every single branch of Every single branch of government has been overinflated in terms of at the federal level in terms of what they are responsible for, and I think that Kavanaugh's rulings have clearly demonstrated that he's not someone who views himself as an ideologue. I mean, this is you have uh, Lisa Blatt in Politico, the liberal feminist lawyer who's argued what thirty something cases before the Supreme Court. She came out with a piece basically saying the Senate and even pro-choice Democrats should be voting for Kavanaugh because he is the gold standard for a Republican appointee of a justice. He's, this is someone who was tried and true and vetted. And it just, I, I, maybe, I mean, I don't understand because it's not my side of the aisle, but why people would fly off the euphemism treadmill to attack Kavanaugh. I mean, earlier today, we were talking about this before the podcast, all of these people saying that this woman behind Kavanaugh was putting up the white power sign. Her name is Zina Bash. She's a White House lawyer, and she was born in Mexico, is half Jewish, and is half Mexican. And the fact that blue checkmark Twitter is literally flying with this, saying it's just a sign, this is just white power, like white nationalists entering the Supreme Court. It's ridiculous, and it's slander. I don't necessarily know if it's all these people rather than one specific person that tweeted who definitely doesn't speak for all of Democrats and everyone who opposes Kavanaugh. I've seen um, some of these have like 7,000 retweets. I think regardless of anything, Twitter is going to s sensationalize things. It's not, and that's not really looked at as an educated point of view and a reason why people would be opposing Kavanaugh as a potential Supreme Court justice. I mean, that's definitely not the reason. That's If that's a deciding factor, then that's absolutely comical at this point, but I don't believe it to be. I think that... Of course, Democrats are putting up a big fight because we are so close to November and so close to 
from what Democrats believe from their perspective, a potential, a potential, wow, sorry, a potential um, flipping of seats. And so that will change the game completely. So of course they're going to try to stall this the same way that Republicans would have had the, sh had the shoe, but on the other foot, the same way that Republicans got the Supreme Court nomination from Obama. Um, and so the game could be completely changed in November if Democrats are able to get the seats that they want to flip. And yes, in terms of what the nominee could have been in terms of a judge and, and how the nominee could have been more conservative and could have been someone more disliked than Kavanaugh is by Democrats, Yes, that's a valid point. However, that's not really what we're dealing with right now. We're not dealing with the lesser of two evils. As Democrats and the Democratic Party, they are trying to be able to get more of an Anthony Kennedy-like figure where with more Democratic support, hopefully after Kennedy. November, we can have a justice that is more moderate. It's not about, well, Kavanaugh's better than what Trump could have picked. It's about how do we get the justice that's absolutely most advantageous for us which of course in terms of political strategy you're going to try to do i'm just saying you've someone who who quite literally clerked for kennedy has been approved vetted and hired by some of the most preeminent liberal judges in the country um i want to bring up two to Democratic Party talking points against the Kavanaugh nomination. And Avery, I'm curious your take on them simply because I just don't know if you're going to agree with it. So Cory Booker was saying one, one of the arguments he was making for, for refusing to vote for Kavanaugh is that because President Trump is under federal investigation and because there's so much legal chaos around him that he shouldn't be allowed to nominate or get a Supreme Court justice passed. Do you think that this is a valid case for voting against Kavanaugh? I think it's tricky. And I think had there been more, had the case against Trump really at this point um, had a little more steam and a little more speed under its wings, uh, potentially uh, Cory Booker would have a more definitive argument. But it's tough to say because as of now, it's still kind of all speculation. I know we've seen the... Cohen stuff go down, sure, but it's tough to say. I think in a hypothetical world, had there been already more action taken against Trump, more actual legal proceedings, then yes, he would definitely have an argument there. But then we'd also be getting into the argument of if Trump is even fit for office and if he should be in office, we'd be getting into the impeachment stuff. If we were going down the impeachment road, I think absolutely there, there would be an argument there. But right now, it's too much speculation and it's too soon. Down the road, if we see that impeachment stuff with Trump really does come to fruition and that um, the legal cases against Trump are made to be true, then we'll look back and be like, wow, hindsight was 2020. You know what? Given how Trump was as a president, should he have had this nominee? No. But to go off of that kind of Hail Mary pass right now is probably not appropriate. Because that was sort of my thought. Because, I mean, Clinton got two Supreme Court justices, and he had Whitewater and the Monica Lewinsky scandal. So, I mean, it's not like Bill Clinton wasn't under investigation, and he was able to get plenty justices passed. And when you think about how many, I mean, even you have someone like the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it was over 40 Republican senators voted for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, knowing that she would enforce Roe v. Wade. 
So I just think that that's a weak, I just think that's weak tea. I think that's just a bad case. If we want to just be straightforward and say, when Harry Reid nuked the filibuster, he made it clear that that judicial confirmations are purely political. I think that's fine. But I think to to do the clown nose on, clown nose off routine in terms of, we care about norms. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. Like, if we care about norms, then Trump should be allowed to pass forward his nominees because Bill Clinton was. So why shouldn't Trump? I mean, if you look, Trump and Clinton are presidents of very similar models. But Obama wasn't forms. able to pass his last nominee in an election year. Even After when, Harry even when nominating filibuster. Merrick Garland, yes. who was well-respected. I mean, Senator Orrin Hatch at the time was quoted on the record for decades praising this judge, yet he was not passed. And meanwhile, Kennedy was passed in an election year um, in 88. So it's tough. I mean, either side is going to try to use political precedent and political strategy to their advantage, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. I don't think you can fault the Democrats, just like how with Republicans in 2016, they played the political game to their favor. And, you know... There's winners and losers in politics all the time, and we'll see what comes of this. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just, I just wish we could be more honest about either this is a purely partisan process or it's not. And yes, Republicans and Democrats are both guilty of this, but I think that we need to be honest with ourselves in noting that in 2013, Harry Reid opened up Pandora's box and changed the game forever. And now we're just rewriting the rules because no one knows what they really are. And quite frankly, I don't think that Kavanaugh should be the last person to, dis- to take a stand against. You know, um, this is, I, I'm just saying, gold standard conservative appointee. I, I don't think, like, there's much to complain about. He's not even, I can think of a lot scarier activists that, 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 that could have been passed. I would say, had um, Anthony Kennedy retired, you know, January of 2019, after the midterms, you would not see Democrats putting up the fight they are now. But with this kind of light at the end of the tunnel for Democrats or this flicker of hope, of course you're seeing them put up this fight. I think it would have been a lost cause in January, but I think it does hold a lot of merit to do so now. And especially knowing that the Supreme Court makeup could really change, especially with if Trump is going to have a two-term presidency, which a lot of political pundits and a lot of political experts predict that he will just in terms of how the, the electorate of the political process and, and how the electorate in America is right now and the and just the dynamics of politics in America and where things are heading they're not heading on a traje- trajectory at this moment that really would put Trump in an unfavorable position in 2020 and so knowing that knowing the justices that we do have on the Supreme Court, those that are aging, someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who a lot of Democrats are holding on to hope that she will, you know, survive until a new president offering like their kidneys until a new president comes into power. This has to be the final straw for Democrat. This has to be the the hill that they die on, so to speak, because the stakes are just so much higher than they have been in the past. If, you know, RBG was 15 years younger, would we see the same fight right now? No, not necessarily, especially because Democrats know with Trump as president, you are going to get someone who is at least somewhat conservative. You aren't going to get an RBG. You aren't going to get an Elena Kagan. You're not going to get a leftist justice. So that's why you have to try to, I mean, broker for 
who's the best that you can get given the circumstances. Yeah, I'm just saying. Because we're not talking about the Supreme Court makeup as it is right now. We're not talking about the Supreme Court makeup with Kavanaugh on and with Ginsburg on. We're talking about the, the Supreme Court makeup four years in the future to a lifetime. And so you really have to have that kind of forward thinking view in mind when understanding why both parties are acting the way they are. And that's also why Republicans are pushing so hard for Kavanaugh because they understand the same thing that Democrats understand in this kind of impending future. I mean, there are plenty of evangelical Christians who think that Trump has despicable moral character, who think that he is not a good person, who think that he is not a good father, who think that that he's not a good husband, who have been willing to sit down for Trump's Charlottesville comments for Trump talking about Mika Brzezinski's face bleeding and slandering all of his enemies and making fun of disabled people. They've been able to stomach all of that for this. Absolutely. There is a reason why, why, why there is the but Gorsuch meme because there are people who every single moment and every single aspect of the political humiliation of backing Donald Trump, this to them was worth it. Kavanaugh made it worth it. And that is why, and I mean, I'm not going to say whether or not I agree with them because obviously I didn't vote for Trump, so this is not really a part of my calculus. But I will say, when people ask me about the positive aspects of the Trump presidency, the very first thing I say are his judicial appointees. This includes his circuit court appointees, which really big up to Mitch McConnell for making that happen. Some of the fastest uh, rounds of judicial nominees being appointed in Senate history. But then also Kavanaugh. This could, this could, I mean, so, I mean, I think you and I are both saying roughly the same thing, which is that it is a huge deal. And that it is, it does come down to a single issue in a lot of ways. And and, and I do fully agree with that. But I just think the theatrics of Linda Sarsour and the handmaids coming into the Senate Judiciary Committee, acting as though it is Brett Kavanaugh who stands between the nation's current state and a dystopian society in which women are what walking wombs is excessive and not helpful to the democratic agenda, nor is it helpful just to, I think political discourse as a whole. If you act like, okay, so the reason why this podcast works is because you and I aren't questioning each other's intentions. I'm not assuming you just want to take all my money and redistribute it. And you're not thinking, I just want to impose like the church on the country, you know, like we, we believe that, that, that although we have differences in, in methodologies and differences, even in viewing what the role of government should be, we fundamentally want what we think is best for the people. I don't think that having a bunch of women dressed up as handmaids from the handmaid's tale lining the walls of the Senate and essentially calling every single Republican who is interested in voting on Brett Kavanaugh rapists and murderers, I don't, I just doubt that that's, I don't think that this is healthy for our political discourse. Yeah, sure. And that's a good argument to make. However, the fringe movements of either party don't speak for the party leadership and don't speak for the party's base. And so... Yes, it's unfortunate to see those things because I think it really does distract from the overall narrative and distract from good faith politics and people wanting truly what's best for the country rather than just trying to, you know, create political turmoil. But the fringe movements on 
both parties are to blame for that on either side. Um, this happens all the time. And unfortunately, those who do want to see um, an amicable setting in politics and in Washington um, kind of, I guess, are the ones who really, who really, I think, are negatively affected by those demonstrations because it really paints a poor picture for either side of the party, Where, whereas in this case, it's leftist fringe Democrats, but in other cases, it's right-wing fringe conservative Republicans. And so that's unfortunate. It's also unfortunate that it's televised and that it's promoted on Twitter and it adds to this hateful discourse where people can't even get along and talk anymore and assume that each other are really speaking in good faith and are having good faith arguments with knowledgeable views. Um, but again, I don't think that those really speak for what's happening right now in terms of what the Democratic leadership is trying to do and what the Republican leadership is trying to do, for that matter. So, I mean, I think that <laughs> we've made the circle with the Kavanaugh discussion as much as we could, and I want to move to our... Uh, to something that I think is a lot more galvanizing for more of the country than the specific legalese of, of what originalist Trump chooses for the Supreme Court, and that is the Colin Kaepernick matter. So yesterday, Nike, of course, announced that Colin Kaepernick is one of their new faces for the brand. Uh, too much fanfare or absolute fury, depending on uh, what political perspective you were looking at so i know that many on the left heralded this as a moment of peak resistance they couldn't wait to see what trump will have to say about this you have some people on the right who were upset about this saying i'm getting under armor next time i need new shoes and burning their nikes for that matter i will say i do think the burning of the nikes is about as fringe as the destroying of the keurig machines that we saw with the whole sean hannity boycott i don't think that there are going to be many people who actually are burning things that they already own although prove me wrong twitter just dm me every single jackass burning their nike gear i mean those videos have gone pretty viral on twitter whether it's been burning your nikes or people are now cutting the Nike swoosh out of their socks. Um, but I would just like, assume that it's like five dumbasses who do that, and then they just get retweeted a bunch of times by people who like think it is kind of edgy, but would never actually destroy their own socks. Because quite frankly, I love my flynets. I live by my flynets. I die by my flynets. I mean, with regards to boycotts, so I think there are some things that are easy to boycott and you should boycott. Not because I think that the effect is very telling, but for instance, with art. Art can be very political. And I think that if art promulgates a political narrative that you believe is immoral, I don't think you should you should endorse it. For example, over the weekend, there was a controversy with the Ryan Gosling film First Man, which is a biopic of Neil Armstrong and, of course, all of the American astronauts who made it to the moon for the first time in human history. So the controversy surrounds the fact that they intentionally did not include... American astronauts planting the American flag on the moon. And they say that it's because they were trying to point out that us making it to the moon was a human effort, a global effort, so to speak. This, of course, ignores the reality that they actually just didn't want to piss off Chinese censors or Chinese audiences, which comprises a large portion of the international cinematic audience. But with something like that, where you can either interpret this as super woke hyper liberalism globalism in the worst kind 
which I really never use as a slur except for erasing actual American achievements because Kennedy made it extremely clear when he professed that we would get a man to the moon that it was to signal to the USSR American excellence. Um, I think that when you have something you can either interpret as that or as cowering to the extremely anti-American Chinese government, it makes sense that you would boycott a film because film is art. And if film promulgates a political narrative that you disagree with or think is deeply immoral, you should not endorse that. Nike is different. Nike makes athletic wear. You are purchasing Nike goods not to make a statement, but to have quality athletic gear. There, I mean, there's a reason why there's a lot of competition, and there's a reason why Nike is the, is the biggest athletic brand in the world. They are the best. It's the, also the same reason why the In-N-Out boycott didn't work. Food is not political. It's the reason why the Chick-fil-A boycott didn't work. Food is just not political. So with something like Nike, I wouldn't necessarily say conservatives ought to be boycotting it because realistically, who cares? Colin Kaepernick has been making tons of money on jerseys anyway, even since the whole flag national anthem boycott. But I... More than anything, I just think it's funny that Nike thinks that this is... I don't know if Nike is just doing this because they realize they can, they could potentially make a lot of money off of it, or if they actually think that this helps out the resistance narrative, because it won't. There is a reason why President Trump repeatedly feeds the flag controversy, and it's because it is good for him. Because it makes him look like he is standing up for a victimized class. And... When you think about something like the flag, that is not a partisan symbol... The flag is a deeply emotional thing for many Americans of all political varieties because it stands for what it means to be an American. So when you take something like the flag and you insert someone like Trump into it, doesn't matter that the issue used to be, let's say, 60% favorability in terms of supporting or in terms of um, people who think that that Kaepernick shouldn't been kneeling for the flag. Maybe 40% we thought, eh, it's fine. Doesn't matter when Trump enters the debate that it becomes a 50-50 issue. Because when you're running 60 points underwater, you're taking an issue that's that's 60-40, turning it to 50-50 for a 40-60 president. This helps him. And that's why I just think it's funny to see everyone jumping at this. They're running towards the bait. Trump loves this. Trump absolutely loves this. Well, this isn't about Trump. At the heart of Kaepernick's protest to begin with, it was to shed light and to start a conversation about systemic racism that disproportionately happens to African-Americans in America. And I think by Nike making Kaepernick the face of this ad campaign, it shows that Nike's corporate bravery will probably be remembered on the right side of history. Corporate bravery? Corporate bravery. Look at what's the look at the outrage that they have. NFL wasn't brave enough to do it. Other companies that endorse because athletes. The, the NFL does because the NFL needs roughly a hundred percent of the distribution of the population. Nike can afford to be a political brand. This goes back to the same thing in terms of how Facebook wouldn't come out and silence certain actors on its networks. And then when Apple did it and when other people did it, Facebook fell in suit. Because the thing is, Nike has the market market share to do this. They have the corporate influence to do this. And they're coming out and saying, hey, this is what we believe in as a company. If that results in more money made for them, which given the fact of its target audience, I don't think they're too worried about 
older white people really burning their shoes or cutting the swooshes out of their Nikes, I think this really does play to the, the loyal consumers that Nike does have and the fact of them establishing themselves as a brand that makes a quality product are they going to lose many consumers as a result of this? No. But are they going to be in a PR firestorm because of this? Yes. Or did they just get millions of dollars of free press because now the president's going to be talking about it? Is he? Has he tweeted about it? He hasn't tweeted about it because he's not going to. Because because. So what do you mean the president's going to be talking about it? He's going to say something milk toast like, oh, like this was a bad call in theirs. But I mean, we already saw the fact that he already issued an exclusive interview to the Daily Caller in which he said Nike is a tenant of mine and they play a lot and they pay a lot of money. At the end of the day, I think what Nike has done has come out against an issue that no one's wanted to come out. But they didn't even once mention police brutality. Instead, they're turning Colin Kaepernick into a free speech martyr, making him the victim. Instead of, if Nike really wanted to be bold, they could have done a, they could have had Trayvon Martin in an ad. They could have had Sandra Bland in an ad. They could have had Walter Scott in an ad. Instead, they took the multimillionaire and like, famous celebrity athlete Colin Kaepernick and positioned him as the victim, which completely contradicts all of the marketing campaigns that Nike has recently done, especially with, as, as we were discussing with LeBron and with Serena Williams, people who, yes, they obviously have spoken about politics. LeBron is, I mean, when LeBron and Trump spar, which is really more one way than anything, it makes LeBron look very dignified because not only is he better at a sport, but he chooses a few things to discuss, and he doesn't position himself as the victim. Instead, he always talks about issues that he knows he is not personally affected by. The Just but Do It, it campaign is featuring acting. all three of these athletes. Yeah, it's featuring LeBron James, Sabrina, uh, sorry, Serena Williams, and Colin Kaepernick. Who knows? In terms of this being one of Nike's big political stances, obviously putting Colin Kaepernick as the face of this ad campaign. But this is about prominent Nike athletes. That's what the Just Do It nike ad campaign has always been about who knows if nike as a result of this as a result of maybe what will ensue afterwards whether it be um you know a fury of like good press for them and a bump in their earnings i know their stock dropped today but that's a short-term loss who knows if they will go into more political things and specifically call out police brutality but right now using the symbol of colin kaepernick using his face on an ad is shedding light to the conversation that Colin Kaepernick started has on anyone, police brutality. Has anyone on, mentioned police brutality in discussing Colin Kaepernick for Nike? No. Instead, it's all about, oh, think about what a martyr he is. He gave up his fancy, expensive job in order to be able to, what? Make a celebrity name for himself. Colin Kaepernick. That is was, not okay, why he what, gave up his what job. What was Colin Kaepernick railing against? He was wearing socks depicting cops as pigs and shirts with notorious dictator Fidel Castro. Colin Kaepernick how, did how, not give how, up how, his how, NFL. How is endorsing Fidel Castro standing up against corrupt cops? Colin Kaepernick did not give up his NFL career to become a celebrity. He gave up his NFL career, and he did not actually give it up willingly. He was a free agent, wanted to be signed by a team, wasn't, probably because the higher-ups in the NFL colluded, which he has a lawsuit against them. Because they didn't want to start losing more money than they... The NFL was bleeding. ESPN was So bleeding. to him, it was not, knowing, not knowing the consequences of kneeling, he did so because of issues that he believes in that regard racism in America and criminal injustice and everything that results around African-Americans not having 
a fair chance compared to their white counterparts but Colin in Kaepernick America. Colin never made his protest about anything specific. He had the star He did. He made it about specific. African Americans in America and injustice. If you look well, at his website, okay. if you look at any interview he's done, if you look at his social media, it calls out police brutality. If you look at what he does in terms of his, in, in terms but of philanthropy, the purpose empowering of a, black the purpose youth, of a giving money to initiatives the that help fight against all of those things that he stands for. The purpose of a boycott is to obtain an outcome. There's a reason why there are such things as hunger strikes. The point is, you strike the outcome for can be something. a conversation. The outcome can be the fact that numerous other players in the NFL followed suit with him, have become more active in their communities where they play football in terms of empowering black youth in terms of giving money to organizations that, that means help a lot to a narrative. lot of people to do that because i think i think it would be worthy to kneel for the flag if you're saying i need jeff sessions and the department of justice to investigate this specific instance of police brutality or i need congress to pass this specific law or i need this state attorney general i think that there is a very valid case to be made that you can kneel for the flag for that because you say that if you do not do this we are not living up to american ideals and to what the founding fathers stood for that is one thing but if the point is to disrespect this widely regarded symbol of bipartisan or just apolitical american patriotism to the end of some publicity for your website I mean, it just goes to show the two people who gained more from this controversy than anyone are Colin Kaepernick and Donald Trump. And who loses? Everyone else. Sports are supposed to be one of the things that unite us. It's like going to a movie to watch a comedy. The experience of laughing in a crowd or the experience of rooting for a team. Knowing that you have all Americans of all different races and different religions and different creeds and different colors all being able to share this one thing, this one good tribal loyalty. That is something that unites us. And yet, when when politics get inserted into the conversation, when Jamel Hill can wax on for 60 minutes on end on SportsCenter about what a martyr and what a hero Colin Kaepernick is, that does not that does no good for the center of the country. It sure it helps out Trump. It helps out Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he's going to be a very rich man after this, but is it good for the center of the country? No, it is not. Well, I think what you would have seen if when Kaepernick first kneeled for the anthem, if the NFL had a response saying, you know what, as a result of this and players, other African-American players' responses throughout the NFL with them kneeling, we as a company, as a business entity, have decided to create programs supporting black youth initiatives in America. Um, we've decided to donate X amount of dollars to this organization that promote that helps African Americans that have been harmed by the criminal justice system in America that works to fight against pr police brutality. You would have seen players when every single celebrity who's willing to talk to President Trump gets slammed by their fellow celebrities for being complicit. When okay, who's done why, who has, why what celebrities it, have done more to to help black Americans in during the Trump presidency? Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Why like, would it like, have quite, been like, hard frankly, for the NFL to throw it to African-American players who make up a majority of the league a bone and say, you know what, we as, we as an organization are going to do more to support African-Americans in this country. Because we would Canada not have seen this get states. exacerbated into a bigger issue. Instead, you saw the NFL and its owners try to take every measure to silence him. Because they did not start like that. It's once they realized they were bleeding out of the knees that they realized they, they had to shut this thing down fast because they were losing. You know what would have shut it down faster? 
actually doing something that would help but the protest the reason why the protest started never, okay when you bargain with someone you have to say i want this and i'm willing to walk away if i do not get this kaepernick never did that kaepernick never said it's i want us to donate five million dollars to the naacp it was never i want five million dollars to the aclu or probably even more than that. i'm probably underestimating how much money the nfl has but he never said that he never set the stakes of his own protest and that is and that i mean if I can think of one person who would say that fails the art of the deal, it's Donald J. Trump. And there is a reason why Trump continues to reignite this campaign. It's not because he's so livid about it that he can't shut up about it. There are things, when, when Trump is actually livid about something, you can tell because you can see he's not having a good time. When Trump talks about those, as he calls them, quote, sons of bitches, which I think is inappropriate for a president to be using that kind of language to refer to other Americans who are not hurting people. But when Trump is discussing them at rallies, you can tell he's having a grand old time. And that's when Trump's the scariest, at least to the left, I, I would assume. Like, I don't think you want Trump to be having a good time. You want Trump to be scared. You want Trump to feel like the walls are closing in. When Trump is at the podium in Ohio or in North Dakota, as I know he's going to be at this week, that's, and when it seems like he's having a fun time, that's when you know it's a winning issue for Trump. Trump knows this is red meat for the base. And he also knows it makes a lot. So, okay, think about this discussion we're having right now. I'm not someone who, like, I'm not a Tommy Lahren. I'm not saying, like, he, no, none of these athletes should be allowed to kneel for the flag. I'm not even saying that Black Lives Matter is an invalid movement. I'm saying I disagree with a lot of the primary spokespeople. But I think that it is well worth listening to black Americans when they discuss how they feel discriminated against by the police. However... When I am now being forced to say kneeling for the flag is a good thing, and if you don't agree with that, then you don't support the rights of black Americans. Again, I'm someone who is not a Trump supporter. But I'm, I'm inclined to feel very anti-Kaepernick. And it makes, by contrast, Trump seem less bad. But that's exactly the trick of the trade. And I, that's why, I mean, again, Nike's going to make a lot of money out of, out of this. Kaepernick's going to make a lot of money out of this. Trump's going to have more meat to feed the base. But it's not a good thing for the rest of us. The only way this is a good thing is maybe to make people wake up and realize the only color that matters is green and that capitalism is good because it gives consumers a say in things. And it means that if you really agree with Kaepernick, you can go out and buy extra Nike things. I think it's a good and thing for African-Americans who are having an activist at one of the highest levels and at such a large platform campaigning for them and really standing... campaigning for himself. No, he's no. not. Like, he is... Such a, a huge message. It literally says the more money Kaepernick makes, the more money he has to donate to charities that can actually make a meaningful difference at the grassroots level Doesn't and that impact like people's lives. If Trump gets another term in office, regardless of anything, Trump's Trump. We know that's not going to happen. This protest, we don't know that. This protest was not to get Trump impeached. It was to help lift African Americans in this country and address issues. And if with Kaepernick protesting and as a result of that, making more monies from his jerseys, as a result of what he stands for in terms of the social sphere, getting this larger deal with Nike and making more money, that is only going to give him more money to donate to the causes that promote those beliefs as well. I just think that at the end of the day, that money which he could have easily had gotten if he had said, I am kneeling or I am doing this flamboyant thing that will garner attention for a specific outcome, for the NFL to personally, for the NFL as an organization to donate money, or for the owner of his team to personally donate money, or for the president or the attorney general to investigate something specific. 
that would have done a lot more good than galvanize half of the country against him. If it was easy to get done, done, the NFL would have done it because yes, he could have set specific terms with kneeling. Instead, he decided to do it as, you know, to quote, spark a conversation, but the conversation was sparked and it did not lead to anything fruitful. The NFL is a big organization to to set the terms of what he wanted. And he never did. If the NFL came to Kaepernick or came to any of the African-American players in the league and said, Hey, we are willing to donate X amount of dollars to the ACLU. Would they have turned that down? No, but tell me the record. Show me the record where the NFL went to the bargaining table and really decided to pony up and take this issue seriously. Because the thing is, this isn't about, this isn't about just Kaepernick. There's still players throughout the NFL that are kneeling. Some of their owners have chose to stand behind them, knowing the impact that African-American players have on their teams and valuing those players and valuing what they're protesting for. But if the NFL as an organization isn't going to recognize that, then of course this didn't reach a fruitful end because the thing is, the NFL could have set terms to stop it. If they really wanted to stop it, this isn't the way of going about it, just trying to silence players, not sign them to contracts. Because at the end of the day, you need those players, some of the best players in the league that make an impact, that are the ones that are fun to watch, to be able to get on board with the NFL and say, hey, you know what? I feel like you were fair to me. I feel like you made a deal with the African-American players in your league, and we're going to reach a consensus and we're going to stop doing this. But the NFL hasn't done that. And for all the well-educated people in the organization... The The NFL clearly does not want to piss off their own players. They also don't want to piss off their audiences. They were in a tight spot. We don't know what the internal negotiations were. We don't know how much money they offered to donate to a charity of Kaepernick's choice. But, I mean, by the time it got to this point, the NFL was bleeding money. They realized that people were shutting off TV screens faster than they ever have. And that was not good for them. So ultimately, they made a business call. They made a business call. And they realized that this was bad brand strategy for them. Because the NFL is not Nike. Nike can afford to only be favored, as you, as you were talking about with, with Nike's brand demographics. Nike can afford to piss off most of conservative America. The NFL can't. The NFL has wide appeal. The NFL is a pretty, I would say, even distribution across the population. It cannot afford to have Trump take a 60-40 issue and turn it into a 50-50 issue. So they're trying to they're trying to suture the bleeding. And that's understandable. Nike doesn't have to do that. Nike knows there's lots of green to be made. And I just think it's funny that liberals two and a half seconds ago were bitching about the fact that Nike has Chinese sweatshops. Now, miraculously, they're okay with it because, of course, now Nike has proved, once again, they're woke. They're fine. Who cares about the little factory workers as long as we can demonstrate how cool and progressive we are? At the end of the day, if the NFL truly wanted this to stop, and the only thing that's continually pissing off conservative viewers for the NFL is every time someone kneels for a game and every time someone does that silent protest that some people for, you know, I mean, I can't necessarily fathom why it outrages people so much. Um, But for whatever reason, people are outraged by. Okay, so then the NFL really has to look at what's going to stop this. Because what's not going to stop it is finding the players. What's not going to stop it is not addressing this issue. What is going to stop it is coming to the table and figuring out an agreement. And that's on both the NFL and its African-American players to do. But at the end of the day, attempting to silence these players isn't going to work 
there's still going to be those representations on TV. And they also need these players to make the league profitable. It's a catch-22. So what we need to see happen is for the NFL and the players to make a deal and an agreement because I can guarantee you that for conservative viewers of any NFL team on Sunday Night Football, if they knew that the NFL was working hard and making a task force to help promote like help promote justice for African Americans in America, I think people are going to be way less likely to turn off the TV than being reminded of it every time they turn the TV on for a game and they see someone kneeling. If the NFL just bit the bullet and said, okay, we're going to do this. I mean, I just think that ultimately, I'm not going to speak for every single NFL athlete who, or every single football player who knelt for the anthem. Because I think that after a certain point when you're being told again and again and again, if you don't do this, then you don't stand for the trials and tribulations of black America, you're going to believe it. So I'm not making a comment on anyone else other other than Colin Kaepernick. I think Colin Kaepernick took a gamble with his career, and as we saw off yesterday, it paid off at the expense of a large portion of America being galvanized towards the pro-Trump side. And I think, I mean, again, it will, it will play out. We will know in two years from now whether or not that, whether how this worked out for anyone involved. But I think that the more politicized our culture becomes and the less empathy that we have towards people in a non-political domain, the less time we can just enjoy a comedy show and just laugh with one another, regardless of our political bias or regardless of our religion or our race, the worse off we are as a country. And you know what? Props to Kaepernick. He took lemons and he sure made lemonade, but let us remind, let me remind everyone, this just goes to show green is the only color that matters. I mean, I don't necessarily believe that to be true, regardless of if this is fuel to the fire for Trump or not. At the heart of what Kaepernick is promoting, that's not what matters. And I'm happy that he got the endorsement because I know with him being a great philanthropist, a lot of that money is going to be going to charities and I mean, LeBron started a school, so yeah. And LeBron, I would rather, I would rather and LeBron rather is part of the LeBron. Just Do It advertisement yeah. I mean, campaign and, and, alongside and again, him and Serena Williams. And again, LeBron and Serena. I don't think anyone. I'm not anyone. Again, I think like there's a fringe portion of the right that will always be upset when when black athletes speak up for anything political. But I mean, for most, for the most part, I think we're all okay with it because one, they don't do it to to advance their own personal personas. It seems to be stuff they actually care about and they're not using to create their entire brand. And two, the Nike messaging has been so on point. I mean, I've tweeted about this immen- uh, uh, quite a bit over the last few weeks, how on point the Serena Williams ad campaigns have been because you had the whole catsuit controversy um, where it was the French tennis official said that she couldn't wear the cal- the that like Nike designed like tennis catsuit as they're calling it because they said that it violated some aspect of their dress code and then Nike came out with the ad where a super wo- I'm gonna botch the line but it, it was incredible it just said a superwoman doesn't lose her powers because she's not in her suit and that was great because it wasn't positioning her as a victim at all it wasn't saying like like you must rise against the evil oppression of French tennis authorities when really they're just backwards and old French phonies because I mean that's that's who that's who runs these that's who run these things but the point is they didn't make her a victim and there was something so beautiful in that there was something that was just deeply empowering Kaepernick it is incredible how he has been able to position himself in a victim as a victim throughout all of this I mean he has someone for whom the American dream worked better than for almost anyone I can think of 
he was adopted by a white family, when his prospects, if he had remained in an unadopted black child in America, statistically speaking, unadopted black children in America do not fare well. They face horrible rates of poverty, very low high school graduation rates, in comparison to in, in comparison to the uh, median graduation rates of the country, so the fact that he was adopted by a white family becomes a national celebrity, a professional athlete, a multimillionaire. I mean, that's the American dream at work. The fact that he has been able to style himself as a victim, and that the true tragedy of this is how much the actual political cause has been lost, just goes to show something. I mean, and that's really my final thought on the matter. I just think the whole thing is just this strange series of schadenfreude-filled, I don't know, vicissitudes that I just, I don't think are good for the country, but I think they've benefited a lot of partisan actors. Well, I think it's the privilege that Colin Kaepernick's had and him acknowledging that and acknowledging that as an African-American he is the exception to the fate of a lot of other people in America that look like him is exactly why he is using the platform that he has the way that he has. And so, I mean, I think we'll see if other companies jump on board with what Nike has come out with. But again, I think I'd just like to see the narrative shift from one of, quote, disrespect of the flag to one of acknowledging everyone's freedom to free speech um, and to understanding actually, okay, well, obviously the African-American community in the NFL and at large in America, um, are very enraged by, you know, the systemic injustice that they are advocating for that is happening. And so how do we solve that? Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to stop these protests. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's some people who actually think that that a new law must be made, more cases must be taken up by the federal government. And those are people who I largely agree with. I mean, like, I, I, I've always said that federal body cam legislation would be a good thing. That is, to me, that seems obvious. Why wouldn't you want more accountability in our police forces? But I think there are some people who will always use this as a political battering ram to get whatever new desire they want. And it will always be vague, and it will always be about the systemic oppression. And... I'm not saying that systemic oppression doesn't exist, but I'm saying show me specifics. You have to show me what specific aspects of our legal code oppress a, a particular class of Americans. That is what I can't really work with. Um, and then I... Well, perhaps we are seeing progress. I know this past week um, there was a white police, police officer in Texas who was convicted of shooting and killing an African-American um, boy who was unarmed. Um... You know, I think if there is any progress to be made in the future, that isn't direct progress uh, from the NFL in terms of um, coming up with a rule for peaceful protest or for coming up with a strategy to help African-Americans who are disadvantaged. Um, it'll be hard to know if anything has been a direct result of Kaepernick and his protests, as well as all the other protests by NFL players and other athletes across the country. Um, but if we see more of these cases end in convictions, um, you know, it's hard to see what the direct correlation is there, but hopefully that's progress in its own regard. Yeah, I guess, so as like a final story that we, I think is important that we just slip in because it's not getting nearly enough of this attention as it should. 
So the Daily Beast dropped a report showing that NBC was basically threatening Ronan Farrow for his dogged reporting of the high, of the Harvey Weinstein story. Obviously, we know that independently, Megan Tui and Joey Cantor at um, at the New York Times were reporting, and Yasher Ali at Huffington Post were reporting on various Weinstein victims. But it was Ronan Farrow's groundbreaking report that that showed that Weinstein was not accused just of harassment and misconduct, but actually rape. That um, that truly broke the internet and sort of made sure that Harvey Weinstein would become a persona known grata, not just in Hollywood, but in America. So NBC's response essentially said the st- Andy Lack totally stands by it, stands by NBC's decision making process and saying Ronan Farrow didn't have enough people on the record. It wasn't ready for publication. So not only did Ronan Farrow, who notoriously stays mum on these things, he likes to only come out when he has a finished story, he came out and said that that this was not true, that he had sources willing to speak on the record. And then Emily Nestor, another Weinstein survivor, came out shortly after saying, not true. And that... Um, And that clearly there was some sort of cover up because it's not, I mean, the relationship between Weinstein and the news media was no secret. The fact that it was an extremely mutually beneficial relationship. And I just think it's funny. The only NBC news person that I've heard of a major headliner who's come out saying that NBC should be questioned repeatedly and investigated for their handling of of the Weinstein cover up is Megyn Kelly, who again, probably has a perch big enough to be critical of her employers. But I just think it's funny because Chuck Todd came out with a story yesterday about how Fox News is the real enemy. And you know what? Say whatever you want about Fox News, but maybe take a look inside and see Ruin Network's doing. Uh, Notable silence from Brian Stelter at CNN on the NBC story truly just goes to show how we stand up for victims until it becomes politically inconvenient for us because Weinstein is beneficial to have in our back pocket. Well, it'll be interesting to see... um if any further information comes out on this, which obviously I'm sure there will be more of a watershed moment, uh, because looking at the internal memos from NBC, they seem to be very convincing in terms of portraying and and uh, volunteering a lot of evidence to NBC's employees. However, then when you look at the external information, it then leads you to question the information that NBC has been pushing out internally. And so it's interesting, though, because obviously, you know, when we hear of catch and kill practices um, within the tabloid industry with AMI, that's not something that is necessarily surprising. But when you look at one of the largest journalistic media bodies in America and understanding that that could be a practice that is somewhat upheld in that organization, it only leads you to question um, media further, which obviously goes on to discredit the work of a lot of great individual journalists that are doing amazing work who are under the umbrella of these larger companies. I mean, Ronan Farrow being um, a prime example of that. And as well with the New York Times taking away bylines on their news site of their of their journalists. So I think at this point, more than ever, individual journalism is key. And yes. I think a lot of journalists are establishing themselves as ones that the public really can trust, who are producing great pieces um, that are well vetted. And so maybe um, we'll see more of a rise of independent journalism and more of a rise of these kind of um, smaller independent publications kind of run 
for journalists by journalists uh, as a result of these bigger corporate interests coming into play. You know, whether to say those corporate interests are coming into play more now than they have in the past, uh, it's hard to really speculate because this is probably a practice that has always existed. However, now it's just more coming to light. At least the good thing that we can take away from this is that the public is being made more aware. Yeah. And I mean, thank God for the Ronin Pharaohs of the world. Thank God for the freelance reporters and the people who care more about the truth than anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, on that note, I think it's just, it's a daily reminder that the whole fake news versus real news narrative is pointless. Look at intention, look at specific reporters' integrity, look at context. And I, I would hope that that out of all of this chaos of Me Too reporting and Trump versus the media and all this, we can realize the truth lies somewhere in the middle and that there are bad actors in the media and there are bad owners of the media and that there are fearless reporters who are willing to do anything to, and that, and as we saw with Ronan Farrow being followed by PIs, literally anything just to advance the truth and make sure that uh, it comes to light. So on that note, uh, can you believe it's only Tuesday? We're in for a long week. Yeah. Especially with these hearings. Um, still being ongoing so we'll see what happens um but until then thank you guys so much for listening um please feel free to toss us um a review or a, a like on spotify or soundcloud and um follow us on twitter at tanner the first and at avery hogarth thank you mm-hmm.